You guys good today? Some of y'all are like, I'm doing all right. You guys ready to study the word of God? Say amen if you are. Well, we've had a good week. We, uh, we finished off prayer and fasting last week. Sunday night had an amazing time in worship. If you missed out, I'm sorry because it, it was so good. You know, uh, it, it felt like just the way that everyone's heart was in one accord and just singing. And, and it felt like heaven was joining in with us in, in worship. And, and it was just a really powerful time. Uh, and then Monday, I guess there was a football game. I don't know. I, I heard something about that. Are there any LSG Tiger fans in the house? Okay, we just want to know whose car's the key after service. So. <laughs> Raise your hand a little high. I'm joking. I'm joking. You're welcome here. Uh, but uh, I actually, I'm actually pretty impressed with LSU, the Tigers. I didn't know that they were as spiritual as they are. Their their uh, their head coach uh, speaks in tongues, and that's cool. Like on national TV, it's it's the coolest thing. He's up there like, go Tigers. Like, okay, that's cool. Anyway, we are continuing this series, God at Work. Last week, we talked about the purpose in our work and uh, how God, obviously, he gives us work so that we can provide, but it's much more than that. It's also because it's uh, the place that he allows us to demonstrate to other people around us who he is. And, and today, I'm going to get a little deeper into that. I'm going to talk about the people at our work, the people in our work. Uh, most of you all know I work around a, a relatively Christian environment. Uh, that's, that's where my work is. And so you're probably not surprised uh, to hear that the majority of the people that I work with are Christians. And, uh, well, mostly, most of them are, they're mostly saved. So let's just put it that way. Still, still, still praying and believing for Ethan. He's coming along, though. He's made some big steps. I'm joking. He's, he's a Christian. But, but, uh, but whether, whether you work... Uh, in, in a normal job or you're retired or you're a student or, you know, if you stay at home as a stay-at-home parent, it doesn't matter necessarily. We're not talking about jobs. We're talking about the work of your hands. And we said that last week. It's the endeavors. Whatever you're putting energy and work and effort and creativity towards, that's really what we're talking about. And even though I work in a relatively Christian environment, that's the reason why I am so intentional to make sure that I get to be around people that don't know Jesus. That's uh, one of the reasons why I, I like going to the gym. That's one of the reasons why I like going and working at coffee shops because it gives me opportunities to be around people that don't know Jesus. Uh, and I think that that's so important. But the reality is most of you in your jobs, you wake up, up every day and go into the mission field. Because even though we live in the Bible Belt and maybe a lot of people would identify themselves as believers, a lot of the people that we work around and with are not Christians. And so it's very important that we understand what God is asking us to do within the context of our work when it comes to the people in our work. And Ephesians 2 says this, starting in verse 8. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and it's not from yourselves. It is a gift of God not by works. How many of you guys are thankful for the grace of God? Amen. So that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're not saved by works, but we are saved unto works. God is working for us so that we can work for people. The reality is we are saved to be sent. Martin Luther said it this way, in God's sight is actually faith that makes a person holy. 
it alone serves God, while our works serve people. In other words, God does not need our works, but our neighbors do. The people around us need our works. Before you were born, this verse says that God knew you and he had a divine design for you. It says that you are his handiwork. Another translation says workmanship. Both of those words in the original Greek is where we get the word poem. Poem. You know, poets, they express themselves through their writings, through their work. And so what this is saying is that we are God's poem to the world around us. How many of you guys would agree we're a work in progress? And some of our poems, it's like, they don't rhyme real good. Uh, and, and, and they're a little ugly and they're a little messed up, but we are a work in progress. But at the end of the day, God's desire is to express himself through us as his handiwork, as his workmanship. There's a lot of different reasons why I think people don't feel like they can influence others, especially when it comes to elements of ministry or for the kingdom. And I want to talk through some of those. One of the reasons, I think you could even call these excuses, is because they're not a professional. In other words, they're not a paid pastor. And so they don't feel like it's either something they can do or that they even should do. One of my close friends, Jason Kimbrough, he pastors our Fayetteville campus, and he was telling us this last week, a story. Jason hates heights, uh, and I love to mess with him because I don't mind heights at all. And so sometimes when I'm around him, like I'll, I'll, if there's a big cliff or something like that, I'll just like mess around and get like really close to it, and he just freaks out about it. Uh, and so he actually, he doesn't even care for like riding in planes that much. And I guess a, a little while back, he was uh, getting on a plane, travel somewhere, and, and for one reason or another, he was a little more nervous that time getting on the plane than he had been previously. And I guess he was so nervous that it was, it was physically obvious and evident to the people around him that he was nervous. And so the guy that was sitting next to him, he, he was trying to talk to them, and the guy started to share his faith with him. He started just to minister to him because he could tell, like, man, this guy obviously needs Jesus. He's so gripped with fear. And, and so... so you know, so then, then, then you're in a little bit of a dilemma because Jason's a pastor, but he, he probably knows, like, he's probably like, I shouldn't have this kind of fear. This is ridiculous. And so he just received, like he just received. I think he just got saved all over again. Let this guy lead him to the Lord. But I think that that is it's such a great picture. Like this guy wasn't a pastor. He just saw an opportunity to encourage someone. You see, we live in a culture, well, really, and this has been a problem for hundreds of years, where the pastor typically did everything. So the pastor had to unlock the doors of the church. The pastor had to get the coffee going. The pastor had to do all the hospital visits. The, the pastor did everything. And as a result of this, Cultures had a tendency to put pastors on a pedestal that God never intended for them to be put on. I've experienced this in my own life. There's just these, these like uncommuted expectations about me when I get around different situations. Like anything that's a, 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 an event with extended family, especially, or not even that, just the other things I might get invited to, if there's any kind of food there, right? So I'll be there, I'll be hanging out, and I'll be like, man, Sula's good, I'm ready to eat. In the meantime, everybody's just awkwardly standing there and their eyes dart at me every once in a while, like, come on, big boy, do your job. Like, we're hungry too. We, you gotta pray, you're the pastor. 
And so, but the truth is this, like, I think that there's actually some pastors that love that moment. Like, they want that attention. They think, man, I, I, I should be recognized as the one that can bless this food. I don't like it. I don't like it. Because I'm like, I'm like, look, any of y'all's prayer can bless the food. Any of you guys can do this. In fact, the way I look at it, I wake up every day and ask God to bless my day. I don't need to keep asking them all day long. The food's already blessed. Let's just eat. Come on now. Good Lord. Not really. I'll pray over my food. I think it's a great opportunity, especially when you're in public. As a family, pray over your food. I think that's a good witness. But there's this expectation that only paid professionals should do the ministry. But it's not accurate. It says this in Ephesians 4.11. Now these are the gifts of Christ given to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Now this passage is referring to as commonly known as fivefold ministry. My job as a pastor is to equip you, but it doesn't mean that I'm the only one that does ministry. October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther in the Reformation wrote thesis, and one of the thesis, a part of it, was a doctrine called the priesthood of believers. You see, for a long time, the Catholic Church had established that basically all ministry had to happen through priests. And in fact, any way that, the only way you could be forgiven or receive blessing or anything like that, you had to go through the priests, and a lot of it became about money and power. And so Martin Luther is coming right at that, and he's saying, no, no, any Christ follower, any person that has accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior enters into the priesthood. Every one of you who have accepted Jesus is a priest. Because what does a priest do? A priest represents God to people and people to God. And that's all of our role once we've accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. So if all of us are priests, it is also all of our job to do the ministry of the gospel, not just me. So what I'm saying is basically this. You need me but I need you just as much. Because if it's, if it's all on me, we can never fulfill the Great Commission. We can never reach our city, our community, in this state with the gospel. It takes all of us stepping into the ownership that we have within the priesthood of Jesus Christ to do the ministry. That's what God has asked us to do. Another reason, though, why people don't use their influence to influence people, especially in a spiritual way, is because they don't feel like they have a platform. Well, here's the, the truth. You don't have to be on stage. You don't have to have a mic. You don't have to have a major network of friends. You don't have to have a ton of followers on social media. Whether you sell cars, stay all day with children, or you're an electrician, whatever you do, God wants to use you to influence other people. That is a fact. Evangelism happens at church, but evangelism also happens in cubicles as long as you see your role in that. 2 Timothy 4, 5 says this, work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. So the question is this, what has God given you? God wants to use you where you are. Your platform is where you are. In fact, you have influence that others don't have influence with. You have friends that other people are not friends with. 
You have children that are not other people's children. You have opportunities that no one else can have. You have neighbors that I don't have. You have a platform of influence. You go to school where other people don't go to school. We equip you on Sunday, but the reason why we equip you on Sunday is so that you can make a difference on Monday. For some of you, this might need to start with your family, of understanding the platform that God has given you with your family. So if you have kids, that may mean that you just need to simply start engaging with them in prayer. Maybe it is before a meal. Maybe it is before they go to sleep at night. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's just getting them on some level engaged with the word of God, maybe through a devotional where you just take out your phone and say, hey, I'm, I'm going through this devotional and I just wanted to read this. Maybe for some of you, that has to do with your coworkers. Maybe you have a lunchtime where you know there's some of the believers that are around you, but there's others that are not. And you invite some people and say, hey, why don't we take 10 minutes at the beginning of our lunch and I just share this devotional thought and then we can just pray for each other, see if there's anything, any prayer needs around. Maybe it has to do with you starting the day with praying with business partners over your business. One of the most successful businesses in our state and in this area, one of the reasons why they're successful is they have amazing customer service. But I would suggest, and most of them would suggest, that the owners and management of this particular business, the reason why they do so well is because they spend every day studying the word and praying together. Every day they start that way. They invite any of the, the employees to, to be a part of this. And I'm convinced that the reason why they do so well is because they recognize that their business and everything that they're gonna do for the rest of that day is a platform and an opportunity for ministry. And they just see it that way. And I think that God wants to put his blessing on some of the things that you're doing, but I think it's gonna start with you recognizing that your place of work, whatever you endeavor to do, is your platform for the ministry of the gospel. God wants to use you in that place. Another reason why people don't use the influence that they have around ministry is because they aren't prepared or they don't feel that they are. A lot of us don't feel like we can influence others because we just don't know enough. And so we feel awkward, like we're not smart enough. We don't know enough of the Bible. We don't feel like we can pray like a pastor could pray. We don't have all the answers. But a lot of us also just don't feel like we're good enough because we have a past. Look, we all would love to be completely ready for whatever God has for us, but the truth is this, we'll never be completely ready for everything that God has for us. If we were, we wouldn't have to trust God. But to me, it's kind of like this. Like anybody that has kids, okay, especially if you have multiple children, it's like when you watch these cute, these cute newly married couples and they decide they're, gonna, they're ready to start having kids. So they get completely prepared. And I think God just kind of chuckles to himself. Like, isn't that cute? They think they're totally ready. <laughs> I'm going to just give them something special. <laughs> or every once in a while, your first kid is just this angel. Just an angel. He just sleeps when he's supposed to sleep and eats when he's supposed to eat. And, and he just, when he cries, it's like, a I don't know if he's laughing or crying. He's filled with so much joy. So then you think, we are awesome parents. 
And then God gives you the second child. (laughs) Just to humble you a little bit. Because the truth is, you're never completely prepared. You just have to be willing and humble, teachable. And then God gives you what you need. Matthew 4.19, this is when Jesus is calling the disciples, specifically Peter and Andrew, the brothers, or fishermen. He called out to them, come with me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Now I want you to know that the following passages don't say, before they started ministering, Jesus taught them how to be holy. It doesn't say, and Jesus made sure that they memorized all the prophets and the manuscripts. It doesn't say, and Jesus taught them how to pray with the right words, with the right tone. They started doing ministry immediately. Because the truth is, most of the things that God's gonna call you to do, you're just gonna have to learn along the way. Because that's when you stay dependent on him, his grace, how he speaks to you. I'm not suggesting that there isn't some amount of preparation, but most of the preparation when it comes to ministry is just making sure that you have the character that won't embarrass the kingdom of God. In other words, if you're in a place where you can't carry the moral authority, then, then you may need to just work on you first, get your life a little bit in a better place, not perfect, but just in a better place where God can use you better. But I am suggesting that all of us are gonna have to learn along the way, including me. Uh, By the way, eight years ago, I wasn't sitting around consuming theology and writing sermon after sermon so that I could be perfectly prepared for when God called me to be the pastor of this church. I was doing college ministry and doing missions trips. This was not on my radar screen. So when God says, go to cabin, I'm like, yes, sir. I have to speak every weekend. (laughs) Uh, I've never spoken a sermon before. I I don't know how to write sermons. I, I had to trust him. You learn along the way. If you have breath in your lungs, you have a purpose on this earth and God wants to work in you and through you. Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It no longer has, is good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bushel. No, if you know the song, it's a bowl in this one though. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Okay, the value of salt in Bible times cannot be underestimated. In fact, a lot of Roman soldiers would receive pay in salt. Like they wanted salt more than they wanted money. Uh, The Greeks considered salt to be divine. Like it was this, this thing that they would worship. So when Jesus told his disciples this metaphor, they completely understood what he was saying. And I want to break this down a little bit. How can we let our work bring glory to God with the people we work with? First of all, be an irresistible witness. Verse 13 says, you are the salt of the earth. This mandate that Jesus gave to his disciples still rings true for us today. It is simply this, make people thirsty. Make people thirsty. 
Make people want to know what it is that you have. Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what is a witness? First of all, it's not a salesman. And it's also not a lawyer. In other words, you don't have to argue your case. God doesn't need you to argue your case. What does a witness do? They simply give their account. They simply talk about what Jesus did for them. The truth is you do have some things that you can say that can change lives because all you have to say is what Jesus did for you. If you walk in a place of humility from time to time, God will bring you back to the foot of the cross when you remember how broken you were and lost you were without Jesus. And all of us, that looks some, like something different. It looks different for me than, than for other people, but I'll tell you this. When I share my testimony, it still moves me. And when you are sincere and you're honest about how God has worked and moved in your life, I promise you, it'll help someone else. But the truth is the greatest way that we are witnesses is far less in what we say, it's much more in how we live. The truth is you are the only Bible that so many people will ever read. But it's only if you live the way that Christ has asked you to live. In 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says this, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you will not need to depend on others. What do people need from believers in the workplace? They need to see people with strong character and integrity and people that know how to honor and respect other people, especially authority. If you really wanna know what people need to see. People are watching. People are watching. People are watching how you talk to others. People are watching how you respond to criticism. People are watching to see how you responded to that perverted joke that someone said. They're watching how you act behind the scenes when you're not sure if anyone can see you. What do you do? What are the decisions you make? They're watching when you're different and you're set apart. It says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To another, an aroma from life to, rot to life. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him, you smell. <laughs> because what this is saying is this. If you are daily falling in love with Jesus and surrendering your life to him, your life will create this sweetness about it that'll be magnetic, that people will want to have. Basically, what this is saying is your actions are gonna speak much louder than your words. Also, be an intentional friend. 
In verse 16 it says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. You may not be able to preach Jesus at your place of work, but you can let your light shine. And some of you, you live and work in some very dark environments. Well, that's good news because light shines the brightest in the most dark places. It says in Colossians 4, 5, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as seasoned with salt. There's that word again, so that you will know, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. I think you have to earn the right to be heard. You have to earn their trust. How? Or there's the old quote, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You have to show that you actually care about them. This is why we have a culture of serving around New Life Church. Because we understand that when you serve, it shows compassion. And when you have compassion on people, it builds trust. And people in this world are desperate to see people that are authentic and real that they can trust. Because when you show compassion and you model what Jesus showed us, that he did not come to be served, but to serve. And when you model that and show that compassion and create that trust and relationship, when people's lives fall apart, you will be the person that they call because you've just shown. You've been a friend. You've been a friend. Here's a few practical ways that you can be an intentional friend. Add value to people. Add value. You can write these down. I find that it's much easier to share Jesus with people who actually like you. I know that's really deep. You can let that sit for a little bit. I would encourage you to find common ground. Find the 1% that you agree on and give it 100% of your effort. Most of our culture does the opposite. They find the 1% that they disagree on and use the other 100% arguing about it. Be interested in them. Enter their world. Ask questions. Don't judge. Speak life. Encourage them. Don't be super spiritual. I'm so thankful that we don't have a church of people that are good at being super spiritual. Because if we were good at being super spiritual, we would wind up being Pharisees. And I don't want to have a church of Pharisees. But please don't try to be something you're not. Just be you. Don't be pushy. Don't be a know-it-all. I want you to write this down. People in the course of your life may despise you because of Christ, but please don't let people despise Christ because of you. I'll say it again. There's a really good chance, and especially in this culture, that people may wind up despising you for the sake of Christ. But please... Don't live in such a way that people would despise Christ because of you. Also be an inclusive leader. There's a lot of inclusive language in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 13 says, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Verse 15, it gives light to everyone. Verse 16, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jesus was very, very inclusive with his ministry. 
In Mark chapter 2, verse 17, it says, When Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people, he's addressing people with a religious spirit. Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. One of the fascinating things about Jesus in his ministry is always making friends with people that were nothing like him. Jesus made friends with sinners. He befriended a guy named Zacchaeus. And yes, he was a wee little man, but he was also a tax collector, which meant people didn't like him. He was a crook. He was slimy. And the religious people criticized Jesus when he sat down to have a meal with him. Our faith is a personal decision, but our faith was never meant to be lived privately. It's meant to be something that everyone can see. Including those that we may not like, agree with, make the same choices that we make. How else does light go into darkness unless you go into the darkness? I love how Jesus lived his life for the value of a soul. His ministry. Um, there's a lot of times when Jesus is around huge crowds. And some of the reasons why those crowds were there was because signs and wonders followed them. Some of it was because of the message that he was communicating, certainly in this relevant way through parables that people had never heard before, but helped them connect and, and understand in, in a way that no one had ever helped them understand before. So there was nothing wrong with a crowd, but I love how Jesus would intentionally leave crowds so often to go after individuals, to go after souls. There's so many examples of this, but one example, one of my favorites, is when Jesus was around a crowd and he told his disciples, we're gonna leave the crowd, we're gonna get in a boat, we're gonna go across the sea. As they were crossing the sea, they went through a storm. They got to the other side, and depending on what account you read, one or two people that were completely consumed with demons presented themselves before Jesus. And they're broken and they're consumed, they're consumed with, they're tortured both physically, but spiritually and emotionally, completely bound up. And Jesus heals them, sets them free. He casts the demons out of them. When the Jesus cast the demons out of them, he casts them into a herd of razorbacks. I mean, pigs. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and those pigs ran off a cliff into the sea and they all died. Well, the people that owned those pigs were pretty mad about that because there was their livelihood. They obviously weren't living with a kingdom mindset. So they got a group of people together and they basically ran Jesus out of there. Don't you know that Jesus knew that that was gonna happen? You see, Jesus left a crowd, went across the sea and threw a storm to set two people free, knowing that that was the only ministry he was gonna be able to do and those two people were worth it. And that's the kind of heart that we should have as a church for the lost, for the souls. We will do anything short of sin to win somebody for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I think that one of the issues probably this morning is that some of you are not convinced at the lengths to which God has gone for you and how much he loves you. Some of you, you're here at church, but to this point, it's just a religious act. 
You came because someone drug you here. You came because you feel that you have to check a box off. You feel like this is what makes you good. But the reality is, we're not interested in this being a place that just helps people feel good. We want this to be a place where the goodness of Jesus makes people whole and sets them free and heals them emotionally and spiritually and even physically. A place where people can understand real relationship. You will never understand real relationship until you've understood a real relationship with God. And he wants to have that with you. I want this to be a place of evangelism. But your place of work is a place of evangelism too. But there are some right here, right now, that although you didn't realize it, God set you up because you're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. And that purpose is that for the first time in your life, or maybe the first time in a long time, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and revealing to you that you have no confidence in your relationship with God and that he wants you to. There are some of you that it, if you walked out of this place today and God forbid something happened to you this afternoon, you have no confidence of where you would spend eternity. God wants you to have confidence of exactly where you would spend eternity. But beyond that, it's so much more than just the hope of heaven. It's, it's purpose here and now. And he's not interested in you continuing to live a mundane, routine life. He's not interested in going to church, being a part of the rhythm, unless you can really experience the church and your part in it, the body of Christ and the relationships, and the fullness of relationship with him. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. If you're here today and you know that you're away from him, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond. And what I'm getting ready to ask you to do, understand that this is not what saves you. But here in a second, I'm gonna ask you, any of you that are away from God and you know it and you're ready to be honest with him and honest with yourself, you're ready to find hope and purpose in him. You're ready to have a genuine relationship. You're ready to not just do the church thing, but to understand the love of your father through his son, Jesus. And if you're in that place here in a second, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. And I want you to take a second. I want you to think about that because I don't want you to worry about somebody that's around you. I don't want, to, want you to worry about the perception of any person because this is the most important decision you'll ever make. And at the end of the day, the only one that really matters is your heavenly father and what he thinks about you. And I want you to know what he thinks about you. He thinks more highly of you than he does his own self because he surrendered himself to the cross for you. That is a God that we serve. That is a God that loves you, that he would exchange his own son. He would exchange himself for you. And if you know that you need him, nobody's looking around and I'm not gonna embarrass you but I want some faith to be released inside of you. And I find that anytime you move physically, it helps God move in you spiritually. So if that's you, nobody looking around, I want you to put your hand up. If you know you're away from me, you need a savior this morning. Nobody's looking around, got it. As soon as I see you, you put your hand down. Thank you. Anyone else? Got it, thank you. Got you, bro. 
Anyone else? Okay. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. Thank you, guys. We love you. Proud of you. Yes, sir. Got it. There at the back. Anyone else? I'm away from you. Yes, ma'am. Got it. Christians, please stay engaged. You're praying. This is the most important decision they can ever make. Anyone else? Okay. So proud of you guys. I want to pray with you. The word says, if you believe in your heart and confess your mouth and you'll be saved. And so at one point or another, you need to declare your faith in Jesus. I'd encourage you to do it as soon as this service is over. I'd encourage you at some point to, to declare it through water baptism. It's the way that you symbolize, I'm a Christ follower. Right there in your chair, you can say this prayer loud enough for your own ears to hear it, but you can say it in your heart, but you just tell Jesus exactly where you are and that you understand that you need him. And you can say something like this, say, Lord, here's my life and I know that I'm broken and I know that I can't save myself, but I believe that you came Jesus and you paid the price that I couldn't pay. You were the perfect sacrifice for my sin, that you died on the cross, but you also didn't stay dead. You rose from the grave, you defeated death, you defeated my sin. And right now I thank you and I ask for forgiveness and I also repent. I can't live the way I've always lived. I wanna live the way you want me to live because that's the only place I'm gonna find fulfillment. So I surrender to you as my Lord. I want you to have control. I think you didn't just give me the hope of heaven. I wanna have your purpose. I wanna see your kingdom come and your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. And I pray that you would help me with that. You would lead me by your spirit, that you'd help me to understand your word as I, as I read it, as I open myself up to how you wanna to speak to me. I, I pray that you would give me your spiritual eyes to see my life. You'd give me your spiritual eyes to see the place that I work, the people that are there and that my life, the way that I live, would be a testimony of this new life that I have in you. Thank you. Thank you for saving me. God, I thank you that you have given us so much opportunity. There's so much opportunity. There's so many people around us, Lord, that still don't know you. So I thank you that you shake us, you wake us up and give us an urgency of the lost, the reality of heaven and hell, the reality that people that don't know you who haven't accepted a personal relationship with you are gonna be away from you for eternity. God, we don't want to live with any regrets. So I pray that you would help us to see the people at our work the way that you see them, with your love, with your compassion, with your grace then give us the strength and grace to be obedient. The way we live, and if necessary, the way that we speak. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We had several people raise their hand. Let's give them a hand clap. Let's give Jesus some praise in this place.